Well, I wonder if you've ever asked the question, why is it that it's only the father or parents of the bride who say, I do, in an Anglican marriage service? It's different, isn't it, from Hollywood and the event planners focused on the day of the wedding. The vows in our marriage service are focused on this day forward And so the focus for a couple coming together in marriage, the focus of their promises are not the event of the wedding, I do, but the purpose of marriage, I will, from this day forward. Uh, This week I was meeting with a couple over Zoom as they prepare for their marriage. It's very tricky because as of this week we're not allowed to have a wedding even. Uh, There is a lot of uncertainty and stress There are so many details up in the air. There there are many unknowns and curveballs and disappointments. There's a lot of this isn't what we envisaged and this isn't how we wanted it to be. But to be honest, I wonder if that's actually quite good marriage preparation. Because there's a tension in preparing for your wedding day. There are so many details and expectations and demands that all your energy and focus is soaked up in the event planning, that you can end up neglecting your relationship preparation. You can be caught up making sure you have a good event and neglect God's good purpose for your marriage. And I wonder if some of those pressures actually continue on into marriage. Lots of events lots of details and pressures, lots of disappointments and unknowns. And so as you juggle all the events and deal with all the disappointments, the good purpose of your marriage starts to be blurred and maybe hidden and a little elusive. One of the ways I try to help couples in the middle of their detailed event planning is to look at the content of what They're going to say, they're going to promise one another as they're joined in marriage. The focus, as I said, in the marriage service looks from this day forward. And so the question to the bride and groom is not, are you happy to get married today? Or do you want to get married today? Yes, I do. Of course they do. The question is, will you continue to be faithful tomorrow and the next day and the day after that until you're parted by death. The question in our marriage service is, will you, will you live together according to God's word? Will you give your spouse the honour they deserve? Will you forsake all others and love and protect them as long as you both shall live for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, until you're parted by death? The focus is not on the event of the wedding, the focus is on the purpose of marriage. And so the charge, the consent, the vows in that marriage service speak of joining together a man and a woman in marriage in a permanent, faithful, fruitful and purposeful way. And for us today, the beauty and the intimacy 
the affection and the admiration that we see displayed in this song of songs between a man and a woman point us towards that purpose in marriage, the faithful and the fruitful purposes of God. The purpose of marriage, the purpose of sex within marriage, it's not the enjoyment of an event, that's not the end point, but it's a, a picture of enjoying an event in the right way at the right time so that, it's, so that God's good purpose for you and for your marriage might be promoted. So to remind you from what uh, our friend Barry Webb writes about the Song of Songs that we heard last week, the Song of Songs is there to stop love going out of relationships to stop love going out of your relationship with God and with one another. And so this festal garment, it is a splendid garment. It's not to be worn with awkwardness or embarrassment, but festively, with joy and with deep thankfulness to God. And so as we reflect on marriage, as we see it in Song of Songs today, and God's good purposes for it, I want us to see three things, the joyful union, the delightful fruit, and the fulfilling love that marriage is meant to contain. So firstly then, the joyful union. In chapter 3, the longing for love, the anticipation of waiting, that was our focus last week, it leads to the wedding day and the wedding night. So chapter 3, verse 6, Who is this coming from the wilderness like a column of smoke perfumed with myrrh and incense made from the spices of the merchant? Look, it's Solomon's carriage, escorted by 60 warriors, the noblest of Israel. And verse 10, Daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look, you daughters of Zion. Look on King Solomon wearing a crown, the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart Rejoiced, As we mentioned last week, the Song of Songs elevates every Christian marriage to that of a royal wedding and speaks of the grandeur of this marriage commitment. Uh, there's no higher human love, there's no more sought-after beauty than the love and the beauty of your spouse. The commitment of this promise-grounded love in marriage Well, that is where the affectionate longing that we saw last week is rightly directed. And in chapter 4, we see from the groom that he has eyes only for his bride. And that's what you want in a good wedding. A groom who has eyes only for his bride. It's one of my key pieces of advice for every groom who gets married in this building that on their wedding day, keep your eyes on your bride. Which is why it's one of the things that I say at the start of every wedding, with nicer words than this, but keep your stupid phone out of the aisle so that the groom can see his bride and isn't distracted by your clamouring for a photo. Let him see his bride. Create that focus and attention for him. 
as chapter 4 unfolds, we get more detail and more attention as they get closer to the, the consummation of their marriage, which is the sexual union that we see at the end of chapter 4 and the start of chapter 5. But did you notice that the groom's affection and his admiration of his bride are so much deeper than simply the pursuit of that sexual intimacy. His two seven-part appreciations of her beauty, they work in detail through all that he sees of who she is and are summarised in verse 7, you are altogether beautiful, completely beautiful, my darling. There is no flaw in you. It's poetic, isn't it? It's not an objective statement to be explored, that she has no flaws, but is the right perspective of a husband to see that his bride is the perfect wife for him. That your perfect wife is the one that you're married to. And I wonder if I can just talk to husbands for a moment... I wonder if we, as husbands, need to spend a bit more time reflecting on what it is that we admire in our wives. To not be so stingy with our words of affirmation and affection. To cultivate our attraction to our wives, our attraction to all the qualities that God has brought together in her including but also moving beyond her physical attributes, working to cultivate the intellectual and to cultivate the spiritual intimacy that helps to connect and to build and to enhance that one flesh union that goes so far beyond the sexual union and combine to move us towards that one flesh joyful union that gets to the very heart and purpose of the marriage relationship. These new husband's words are full of sweet and vibrant and satisfying images of mouth-watering fruitfulness and beauty. And built into his words for his bride is an invitation to come to him. And so the second thing we want to see today is the delightful fruit of marriage. Have a look at verse 8. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Omana, from the top of Sinir, the summit of Hermon, from the lion's dens and the mountain haunts of leopards. You have stolen my heart, my sister, my bride. You have stolen my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine and the fragrance of your perfume more than any spice. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. Your plants are an orchard, orchard, an orchard of pomegranates. 
with choice fruits, with henna and nard, nard and saffron, calmus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree, with myrrh and aloes and all the finest spices. You are a garden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. It's intense, isn't it? And sensual, it's sweet, it's fertile, it's beautiful. Uh, the, the pomegranate keeps popping up all the way through this book. The pomegranate, which is a picture of fruitfulness, chock full. If you've ever cut open a pomegranate, seen all the seeds inside. It is fruitful and ripe. And combined with all the sweetness and the enjoyment is the purposeful fruit the fruit of seeds, the fertile flora and fauna. All of this harkens back, doesn't it, to God's good purposes for marriage that we see in the unspoiled garden and the one flesh union of husband and wife. And God's command to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. So one of the purposeful fruits of this joyful union is the multiplication of people. That children are inextricably linked to God's good purpose for marriage. As he longs to build families that image forth his relationship to us as father as well as imaging forth Christ's relationship as loving husband, Christian marriages, therefore ought to have a posture built into them that is welcoming and open to children, even as we entrust ourselves to God's timing and to God's provision. And so this sweet and intense and sensual invitation of the husband is is responded to in verse 16 as his bride, his love, accepts the invitation of his intimacy. Verse 16, Awake, north wind, and come, south wind, blow in my garden that its fragrance may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. There's tenderness in this extended exchange between a new husband and his wife. There is the joyful self-giving and receiving that's focused on the other. Uh, As we read in 1 Corinthians 7, the husband's body belongs to the wife, the wife's body belongs to the husband. They're called to serve each other by giving without any space for demanding, without any space for selfish taking, but selfless giving. They're called to serve one another by giving with absolutely no room for abuse or control. With these sweet and tender words and his actions not manipulating or coercing but building up and serving. What we have in this song is the beautiful, voluntary and joyful self-giving that comes from a context of security and belonging 
that comes in the context of commitment and promises. As one writer has said, it's not the quality of the sex that makes their love good, it's the quality of their love that makes their sex good. One of the things I hope is really obvious to us as we read the Song of Songs is just how far away from this tender beauty and this satisfying sweetness things like pornography and promiscuity take us. Distorting God's good, fruitful, joyful purposes of marriage. Taking sex into that insecure, non-committal, consumer, self-focused, distorted and diminished view of sex. Where instead of self-giving and the joy of the other, we sinfully turn it upside down into self-satisfaction and manipulative and insecure taking for ourselves the opposite of God's good purpose. But here we have the pictures of luscious vegetation, of mouth-watering fruit, and the joyful complementarity between husband and wife that unites them in flesh and in spirit and paints a beautiful picture of God's good and creative purposes for marriage, reminding us of the untarnished garden where the husband and wife were naked and were not ashamed and should cause us to long for that kind of unity in our marriages, that kind of unity that's so often a struggle and a constant battle to pursue and to cultivate. as you reflect on the sweet and the fruitful enjoyment of this union between a man and his wife this morning, I wonder if that feels to you like an elusive dream or like a dim and distant reality or like an unmet longing in your marriage or in your singleness But for wherever we find ourselves this morning and this song meets us, each of us should be reminded of the beautiful picture of the gracious and redeeming love of the Lord Jesus, our bridegroom. And if this contented and beautiful and sweet picture reminds us of our own sinful failures and regrets, be reminded again of the Lord Jesus who cleanses us from sin, who dresses us in pure and spotless wedding garments as he brings us to the eternal table of his perfect future. The redeemed beauty and the redeemed purity of belonging to the Lord Jesus forever. And again, wherever this song might meet us this morning, 
we're reminded to prayerfully bring our unmet longings or our dim experiences to our good and giving God. To pray for fullness and contentment in the love song of the gospel and the affections of the Lord Jesus. And so the third thing to see this morning is the fulfilling love. And that's the encouragement of these friends in chapter 5, verse 1, as the, the bride and groom enjoy the consummation of their marriage in this sexual intimacy Their friends are cheering them on from outside the room. Eat, friends, and drink. Drink your fill of love. This isn't voyeurism. This isn't an audience. These are encouragers and witnesses. That's what happens when we have a wedding here. The the room is filled not with an audience, but with encouraging witnesses who are there to spur you on in your commitment to one another and to hold you accountable. They are advocates and supporters, as each one of us is called to be to the marriages around us, to promote and to cheer on the faithful and fruitful marriage of those around us. In this uh, terrific book called The Storm-Tossed Family, which uh, everyone should read, I think. This is what Russell Moore writes about marriage. He says, whether you're married or not, you bear a calling to support and uphold the marriages within the family of God, the church, to hold one another accountable, to stand by our words and promises. And whether married or not, we should pay attention to what we see in marriages around us, even as sin-riddled and foible-filled as even the best of them are. Because in those marriages, we can see a picture of a Christ who is one flesh with his bride. A Christ who is present both by covenant and through connection, by fidelity and through intimacy. A Christ who is joined to his church for better or for worse by a cross. And that means that we will find joy and peace and wholeness in our marriages when we stop expecting marriage to meet all our needs and start seeing marriage and singleness as a war where we seek to find contentment in the gospel. And that is a struggle that takes us right to the brink of death. Still holding on to each other, knowing that someone greater is holding on to us. And that kind of peace and contentment, that joy of fulfilling love, well, that's how the Song of Songs finishes as in chapter 8, verse 6, we're reminded that love is stronger than death and is the very um, blazing fire of God's love where where we seek to find contentment and the peace that passes all understanding. 
my great prayer for us as a church as we read this song of songs and find its place in the greatest love song of the gospel as we long for joy and beauty and satisfaction that we would seek it not only in our marriages according to God's good purpose and design but we would seek the joy the beauty the satisfaction of being united to Jesus and being made one with him forever. That we would hear and delight in the invitation and the acceptance of God's redeeming and his purifying love and delight in the reality that he will rejoice over us with singing. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the beauty and the joy and the delight of marriage and pray that as we experience it dimly or as we long for it in reality, that you would help us to find contentment and peace in your redeeming love and seek the joy and satisfaction of being united to Jesus forever. Help each of us, no matter where we find ourselves this morning, to promote and to champion faithful and fruitful marriages that point to Jesus and build up our community in love. Amen.